Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha, where we're all about helping each other discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. We hope this message impacts your life, and be sure to like and subscribe for more. This morning, we, we have the opportunity as, as a church to, to start at page one. And, uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I, we've, been, we've been telling you for the last few weeks that in 2022, one of the things that we're going to do as a church is read through the Bible together chronologically. Now, last week, we passed out the, the physical copies of the, the January reading plan. If you weren't here, or you didn't have access, you weren't able to get that, you can find that on the, the, the app. You can find it on the website. Uh, but that began yesterday. Yesterday was January 1st, and, and I told you that, that throughout the course of the year, rather than preaching and, and doing topical sermon series, rather than, than looking at different, different topics or ideas in Scripture, what we're going to do is, as a church, we're going to begin reading through God's Word together, and then on Sundays when we gather together, uh, we will have an opportunity to, to, to look back on what we've read and studied and talk about that together as a church. And so uh, this Sunday is our first Sunday to be able to do that. want to, again, remind you, the fast begins today. Those of you that are new to Dream City, every, every year we begin the year with a, a time of fasting and prayer. So we take 21 days, the first 21 days uh, out of our year, and we, we set that aside to God. We fast something. It could be, uh, it could be food. It could be technology. It could be entertainment. It could be, could be anything. And, and would, I would encourage you to pray and ask God what, what he would have for you to fast, whether it's, it's doing a Daniel fast, which is fruits and vegetables, or, or a juice fast, or, or fasting one meal out of the day. Again, that's between you and the Lord. Why do we, why do we fast? Why do we do that? First of all, it's a, it's a principle. It's a practice. It's, it's a discipline that we find in Scripture, and, and one that is uh, is encouraged of us. It's, it's the process, the practice of, of really dying to ourselves, as Jesus said, picking up our cross, dying to ourselves daily and following him. It's us submitting our flesh and, and elevating our spirit man. It's sacrificing something that, that brings nourishment or comfort to me physically and replacing that with something that brings comfort or nourishment to me spiritually. So it's not just about a diet, and it's not just about not eating a meal, but would encourage you that in the time you would have spent eating that meal or watching TV or binge-watching Netflix, I know the new season of Cobra Kai is out, come on, everybody, rather than doing those things, instead give yourself to God's Word and study His Word in its place. And so, so every year we take 21 days, we, we set that apart, we give that to God. God, here's the first part of my year. I want to pursue you like crazy, like never before this year. So that begins today. would encourage you to join us in that as well. Yesterday, we began our Bible reading plan. We read Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Uh, those of you that, that followed along with us would, would thank you for that. Those of you that, that maybe haven't started yet, you're only one day behind you can, still, you can still get caught up, all right? Don't allow that to get too far behind. Uh, what's really cool is if you do it in the, the Dream City Omaha app, there's uh, this, this connection between the app and the version Bible app, and you can, 
there's this, this spot in there where you can have conversation based upon the reading that day. So I think there's like 90 some odd people who have done it on the, the, the Dream City Omaha app and there's conversation and there's question and here's what I saw and here's what I learned and back and forth about what we're reading and, and would encourage you if, if, if that's uh, something that you can do, get on there and, and let's be iron sharpeners as we sharpen one another as well as we study God's word. But we read Genesis chapters one through three. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to study today. That's what we're going to look at today as we open God's word. Go ahead and just turn to page one of your Bible. Okay, nobody, we're not awake yet. Can we get some coffee in here? Um, Genesis chapter 1, and, and as we look at Genesis chapter 1, as we look at the book of Genesis, Genesis is the book of beginnings, it's the beginning of the world, it's the beginning of humanity, it's, it's the beginning of the nation of Israel, all of the beginnings are found in, uh, in the book of Genesis, it's the beginning of sin, it's the beginning of the, the depravity of mankind. It's the beginning of, of all of those things that, that we even see today. And, and as we, we look throughout the book of Genesis, and not just Genesis, but even throughout the rest of this year, would encourage you, everywhere you read, look for Jesus. Everywhere you read, look for Christ, because you will find him. Because everything in God's word points to him. And so as we, we begin, we see chapter one, and chapter one is really the, the beginning. Verse 1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, there it is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, many of us have heard that so many times, and it's one of those verses that, you know, we, we hear it, and even if we didn't grow up in church, we probably, we probably know that that's how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's one of those verses that I think we hear so often that it's very easy for us to just kind of take for granted. And we just kind of gloss over it. It's like, I've heard that. I understand that. I know that. Yes, obviously, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But when you understand the, the magnitude of that one verse, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They tell us there are, there are three things that are needed for our universe to even be in existence. For it to exist in the first place, for it to, to have come to be, there are three things that are, are needed. It's time, it's space, and it's matter. Without time, without space, and without matter, there, there is no universe. There is no planet, there are no stars, there, there, there is nothingness without time, space, and matter. And, and that's what science tells us. Now, when you look at God's word, what's interesting is you see all three of those in the very beginning. In the beginning, what is that? That's the beginning of time. That's God speaking in time being created. God created the heavens, which is space, and the earth, which is matter. Genesis chapter 1 Verse 1 shows us that in the beginning, when there was nothingness, when there, when there was, was nothing, the, the only way for somebody or something to create time, space, and matter is for one to be outside of time, outside of space, and outside of matter to bring it into existence, and that's exactly what happened in the beginning. So I don't want us to, to lose what, what is being said here in the beginning Time, 
God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. And just like that, the three needed elements for, for, for the universe to be in existence, for life to be formed, were, were made like that when God said so in the beginning. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's interesting when you look at that. And the Bible says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now we're not going to go through the rest of chapter one, but, but as you read chapter one, as you read chapter one, you see that for the next several verses, it begins to tell us day by day what happened with creation. And on the first day, God said, what? Let there be light. Some of you are like, I think it's light, but I don't want to say it and be wrong. You were right. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and saw that it was good. And so on the first day, God made light. On the second day, God made the heavens. On the the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, we're given this, this story of creation. Now, I don't want to get too to deep into the weeds. I don't want us to get, to get lost into uh, ideas of creationism, but I do want us to have just a brief conversation if we can. Um, because what I've seen, and particularly with, with people of my generation, I've had a lot of conversations with people who the reason they refuse to believe God's word is because they can't get past the first page. The reason that they don't believe in Jesus is because according to the Bible, the earth is only 6,500 years old and that's scientifically impossible. And so if that's what it says on page one, then I refuse to believe anything else that it has to say. First of all, I think that that's really sad. But secondly, I want us to, to have a conversation and just just very surface level about this story of creation. First of all, we have to understand that the Hebrew language is a very poetic language. And so so can we take the the six days of creation, the seven days, the seventh day that God rested, can we take those as literal days, literal 24-hour periods of time? If we do that, then we trace the, the the. the, the timeline back to Adam would tell us that the earth is around 6,500 years old if those were literal 24-hour periods of time. Now, is that possible? Absolutely. With our God, it's possible. Is it possible that Jonah was alive inside of a whale for three days? Absolutely. Okay, well, what about the fossil record, Pastor John? What about the, listen, I, I've created, I, I, I've made furniture. I bought wood. It's, it's brand new lumber. And when I, when I make it, Angel says, well, I want this sanded and I want the paint to look old and I want like some, some chips in it. I want some scars in it. So, so I created it with the appearance of age. Could it be possible that God in six days created the earth with the appearance of age? Absolutely. Anything is possible, right? We, we, we know that with God, anything is possible. But here's my question. Okay, and, and I'm not saying one way is right. I'm not saying one way is wrong. If you want to talk to me about my personal beliefs, we can do so afterwards. But there are some that believe that the earth is 6,500 years old. And based upon the reading of Genesis chapter 1, you would be fine in believing so. I wouldn't tell you that you're wrong. But I would, I would ask you questions to make sure that you really understand what you're, what you're saying you believe. Because a day is based on our rotation around the sun, unless, never mind, um, 
It's based on our rotation around the sun and the moon, but the sun and the moon weren't created until day four. So what were the days of one, two, and three? And who was measuring that period of time? When you understand the, the original language that it's written in, that the word day doesn't just mean a 24-hour period of time. It doesn't just mean one cycle. or It doesn't mean one rotation. That word day is translated different ways. It's, yes, a 24-hour period of time, but it is also translated to mean a period of time or an age. So one could read Genesis chapter 1 as in the first period of time or the first age of time, the first length of time, God, cre- God, God created the, little, the light and saw that the light was good. Now, how long was that period of time? We don't know. We're not, we're not told that. We don't, we don't see that. But it could be any period of time. That is, that is what is referred to as the day-age theory, okay? Some of you came to church this morning. You didn't know you were going to learn so much stuff, but you're learning a lot today. So the day-age theory says that the days referred to in Genesis chapter 1 aren't literal 24-hour periods of time, but they are, they are length of time. That's day-age theory. There is young earth creation, which is, it was 24 hours. It was 24 hours, Jesus did this. 24 hours, Jesus did that. 24 hours, God did this. It was created in six literal physical days, as we understand 24-hour days. That's young earth creation. And then there's then there's gap theory, which basically says there is a gap between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 2. And, and it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became formless and void. Well, that's based on the fact that God doesn't create anything formless and void. And so what happened for the earth to become formless and void? Was there something that happened between 1, 1, and 1, 2 that possibly included the fall of Satan? I don't know. Is it possible? Yes. Is gap theory possible? Yeah. Is day age theory possible? Yeah. Is young earth creation possible? Absolutely. What I'm saying to you is, as we read this, this is one of those things that whether the earth was created in six literal days or the earth was created over six periods of time or there was a gap between one one and one two, does any of that affect my salvation or your salvation? No. It's fun for us to have conversation about. And if you really want, we can sit down and have a really fun conversation about it. But at the end of the day, this doesn't affect my salvation. This doesn't affect whether Jesus came and was the son of God and lived a perfect life and died as as sacrifice in my place. It doesn't affect any of that. It doesn't take away from any of that. But when I have conversation with people who come to me and say, well, the Bible says that The Bible says that the earth is only 6,500 years old, and scientifically that's impossible. I'm able to have a conversation with them and say, well, the Bible doesn't really say that. Well, yes, it does, because, no, because the day could be an age of time. It could be a period of time. We don't know how long that time is. It could be be longer. And when when you open their minds to that fact, it's like, okay, now are you able to see how your science could fit into what God's word has already said? Yes, I can see that. Okay, now we can begin to have a conversation. And if it, if it opens our hearts and if it opens our minds, it causes us to think a little bit. And rather than just glossing through scripture and reading over it, let's allow it to, to really speak to us and see what it really has to say. So that's chapter one. We're not going to go too much further into that. Chapter two, we see the man and the woman put in the garden. Verse eight says that then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. 
The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we understand, is the, the tree that Eve ate from. She was tempted by the serpent. We'll get to that in chapter 3. She takes the fruit. She sees the fruit. She wants the fruit. She partakes of the fruit. And then she gives the fruit to Adam, and Adam partakes of the fruit. And with their acts, sin entered the world. We'll get to that. But the question that is often asked is, well, if, if God is all-knowing, if God knew that they were going to eat the fruit, why would God put the tree there in the first place? How many of you guys have ever asked that question? Like even, even as we read it today, like it's a, it's a valid question to be asked. As I was going through the comments from yesterday's reading on the app, there were several people that, that posed that very same question. If if God knew they were going to eat the fruit, then why put the, the tree there to begin with? And they, the, those that asked the question and those that answered, they, they gave the answer, and it's probably the answer that I would give. The reason that God placed it there was to give Adam and Eve the ability to choose. Because God has loved us so much that he gave us free will. He gave you the ability to choose. He didn't create you a robot. He didn't, he didn't create people as those who would mindlessly follow orders because that's not love. And following, following orders without the ability to choose does not show our love for him. But when given the choice to, to live my life according to his law and according to his word or the choice to live according to my wants and my desires, when I choose to follow him, that's when I show that I love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Out of your love for me will come this life of obedience. And so the reason the tree had to be there is because there had to be this choice between doing what God said to do and doing what I want to do. So man is, is placed in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, and then in chapter 3 we see the fall of man. For two chapters, we are given the beauty and the splendor, the wonder of God's creation. For two, for two pages, things are incredible. For two pages in your Bible, God has this plan and he's laid it out and men are living in paradise and there's man and there's woman and they're naked and there's no shame and they're just loving life. Like it's, it's incredible for two pages. And then we get to the, the third page or the fourth page, depending on the size of the print in your Bible. We get to Genesis chapter three and it all comes crashing down like a house of cards. For two pages, everything was good and we had paradise and then God made man, put him in the garden and we made a mess of it. Just like that. Genesis chapter three, verse one says that the, the serpent was the, the shrewdest or the, the most cunning of all those that, that God created. He, he comes to Eve and, and he says, did God really say that you can't eat any of the fruit? It's Genesis chapter three, verse one. Did, did God really say you can't eat from the, the trees? And, and of course that was a lie. She says, no, God didn't say that. God said, we can eat from any tree. 
just not that tree. Because if we eat from that tree, we're going to die. And his response was, you will not surely die. You're not, you're not going to die. But God knows that when you eat of that tree, you'll become like him. He comes to the woman and he asks the question, did God really say? Isn't it interesting how that when you go back and you look at the, the tactics of the enemy that, that day, the same as the tactics that he comes to you and me with? Did God really say? Did God really say you're going to be healed? Did God really say your marriage was going to be successful? Did God really say he was going to take care of you? Did God really say he would provide? Did, did God really say? And he asks us questions to, to cause us to doubt the truth. See, Satan is the father of lies. And so everything that he says is a lie. But oftentimes he will come to us not with a bold-faced lie, but with a question to cause us to question the truth. Did God really, did God really say that? See, that's why it's so important this year that as we read God's word, we understand what God really said so that when the enemy comes to us and says, did God really say? We can take God's word and say, absolutely, God really said, because here's what his word says. Too many Christians are being led astray because we don't know what God said. We don't know what his word says. And so when the enemy comes to us, like, did God say? We're like, well, I think he did. Well, my, mo my mom said. Like that's some of us, that's our understanding of scripture. My grandma used to say, my dad said, but do we know what God said for ourselves? So when the enemy comes and says, did God say, we have a response to him. Verse six says that the woman was convinced. Didn't take a whole lot, right? Like it was, it was pretty easy to convince her. When the woman was convinced, like really, that was it? Two questions and you just, you just gave in. When the woman was convinced, she, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looks delicious. Just pause right there. So, so what... What convinced this woman? Was it the questions that the enemy had asked her? No, I, I think it was more this part. And she saw that it looked good. She saw that it looked tasty. She saw the fruit on the tree was ripening. She wanted the wisdom that it was going to give her. Now, now here's what I want to, to caution you with today based on this scripture. It's just because it looks good doesn't mean that it is good says that it looked good. It looked delicious. It looked appetizing. To her eye, she, she wanted some of it and she became convinced because of it. And just because there's this desire in you and just because your eye sees something and, and it looks good or it sounds good or this is a good opportunity doesn't mean necessarily that it is good. You need to make sure that it's of God rather than if it's just good. She wanted the wisdom, the Bible tells us, the, the wisdom that it would give her. Is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing to want wisdom? Who wants wisdom in here today? Good. 
Here's what the Bible says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God would give it to you lavishly, abundantly. Who is the source of wisdom? It's not a rhetorical question. Who is the source of wisdom? God is the source of wisdom. And here is this tree that God has planted in the garden. Eve has access to the very source of wisdom. But when she saw that the tree would make her wise, what is she doing? She's looking for self-sufficiency. I could go to God at any time, but if I eat this fruit, then I won't need God. Then I can have the wisdom for myself. Anytime you try and find something outside of God's will and God's plan, even if it's a good thing, I would caution you in that. Somebody once said that the temptation is an opportunity to achieve a good thing in a bad way. That is what temptation is. Is it wrong for Eve to want wisdom? No. Was it wrong for her to eat of that tree? Yes, because it was disobedient to God's word. Is it wrong for us? See, see so many times we do things and we're tempted in ways that, that achieve something for us. And when you get down to the root of it, whatever that root is, why I did this, whether it was for acceptance or whether it was to feel love or whether it was whatever the case may be, in and of itself, that is not a wrong thing. But what I am doing in, in acting out in response to this temptation is I'm trying to achieve a good thing in a bad way outside of the plan of God for my life. So here's Eve. She, she sees it and it looks good. She wants the wisdom that it will give her. So she takes and she eats of the fruit. And as she eats of the fruit, her husband who was there with her, Adam is, is there. She took and she gave it and he ate it. At that moment, verse seven says, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Sewed fig leaves together, covered themselves up. They, they take the fruit. They're, they're living in, in paradise. They're living in, in the perfect environment. And the end of chapter two says that they are naked and feel no shame. Now they partake of the fruit. The Bible says that their eyes were opened. Is it their, their physical eyes, their literal eyes, or is it the eyes of their understanding? that now having partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now they are made aware of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And they see their nakedness and they feel shame in that moment. So they seek to cover themselves up the same as you and me. Same as, same as us. It's the same natural response that we have when we do something and, and we're caught or we we respond to temptation in a way that we shouldn't. And in that moment, the conviction hits us. And it's like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. I know. And we feel that shame. What's, what's our natural instinct? To go and hide, to cover ourselves, to, to, to cover our tracks, to, to hide what we've done. It's crazy that in the thousands of years from Adam to us, really not much has changed. There's really, there's really not a whole lot that, that is different. Sure, there might not be talking serpents, <laughs> But, but not much has changed. So they sew fig leaves together, cover themselves up. They run and hide. God comes to the garden. He's looking for them. And he calls out to Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? Not because God didn't know where Adam was, but because in this moment, Adam didn't know where Adam was. Adam, what are you doing? Adam, where are you? Adam says, well, we, we heard you and, and we're naked. So we, we covered ourselves and we, we ran and hid. We heard you and we were, 
afraid. Heard you walking through the garden, he says. Verse 11, here's God's response to Adam. Who told you that? We were naked, God, and so we hid. Hold on, hold on. Who told you you were naked? Where Where did you get this? Where did you get this piece of information? Who told you that? Because that didn't come from me. How many things in our lives do we believe about ourselves or about other people that didn't come from God? How many, how many things that we believe about ourselves or the the actions that we take that direct the steps of our lives, how many things do we do because we are the source of our truth? Or the TV is the source of our truth? Or culture is the source of our truth? Because I heard from this person, then I'm going to do this and live this way and act this way. Because they said, then I'm going to, how many How many things could God come to us today and say, who said that? Who told you that? Because I didn't didn't say that. Who told you to live in fear? Because I didn't tell you that. Who told you to cover yourself in shame? Because I didn't tell you that. Who told you that your marriage was going to fall apart? Because I didn't tell you that. Who told you that you'll never be good enough? Because I didn't tell you that. Who told you? that you're always gonna fail because your dad always failed because I didn't tell you that. Who told you that you're not good enough? Who told you that this is as good as it gets? Who told you that your best days are behind you? Who who told you these things that are are influencing the way that you live your life right now? Who told you you're gonna turn out just like your uncle? Who told you? Who told you that? God comes to Adam, he says, "Who, who is your source of truth? Who is your source of information? Because it clearly isn't me. Who told you that? He says, well, to be honest, God, says, God says, did you, did you eat from that tree that I told you not to? Adam says, well, yeah, but she did it first. Right? Like, told you not much has changed. So quick to blame one another. God says, did you eat from the tree I told you not to? Adam, what did you do? Adam, what did you have for lunch? Adam says, it wasn't me, God, I promise. It was that, his, his, his words. He said, it was that woman you gave me. <laughs> that woman you gave me, God, she ate it. God looks at the woman, says, Eve, what did you do? And she points at the serpent. She's like, well, he told me, he told me to eat it. And in this moment, this interaction and God's response, we see see the cause of where we find ourselves today. Because in this moment, there there is consequences for the actions that have been taken. See, there was paradise given and paradise lost in three short chapters. Typically, when you read a book, you have to get to like chapter five or six through the the character development. And, you know, you give some context and you lay out the scene and then the conflict is introduced. (laughs) Here we find the conflict of humanity introduced right from the start. 
And in this moment, God comes and there is, there is consequence. There are consequences for these actions. And so he, he speaks to Eve and says, Eve, because you've done this, there is this curse that is going to come, not just upon you, but upon every woman who, who comes after. And the curse is this, ladies. The curse is that childbirth is going to hurt like a mug. So he says, there will be pain in childbirth. That is, that is a result of Eve eating fruit. Now, does that mean that like, had she not eat it, eaten it childbirth, like you wouldn't, I don't know. I'm just telling you what God said. Not only that, he says, but you will try to, you will want to control your husband, but you can't. See, as a result of the fall, there is this, this disorder in what God has created and ordained. Men as the head, woman in, in the New Testament tells us this, that the wife, you are to submit to your husband as we submit to Christ as the head of the church. It was there in the garden in operation as God designed and intended it. And now because of the fall, you will want to, to come out of that place of submission. And that's not it's not the way that God designed. He says, you'll want to control your husband, but you won't be able to. He looks at the man and he says, hey, for your part in this, you see this dirt, you see this ground, you're going to have to work hard to, to make a living. You're going to have to work hard to get food from it. It's going to produce thistles and, and thorns, and it's not going to be easy. He looks at the serpent and says, you are going to crawl on the ground for the rest of your life. You're going to eat the dust. But then he says, I will put enmity between your offspring and the offspring of the woman. And this is other than in the beginning God created because John chapter one tells us that through Jesus, all things were created. But this is really the first picture and promise we get of Jesus in scripture directly because he says, I will put enmity between the serpent and the woman and her, his offspring and, and her offspring. It says that, that you will, will strike his, the woman's offspring, you will strike his heel, he will strike your head. And as, as God gives this curse, there's this, this picture that is given of this, this battle that is going to wage between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of Eve. Now, was the serpent like, a real, just a, like, a, like a talking snake, I don't, I don't believe so because of this curse. If it was just a regular snake that was talking, that deceived Eve, then you would see armies of snakes fighting armies of people today. Now, yes, if, if I saw a snake, my first thought would be to kill it because I hate snakes. But what he's speaking to is, thank you, I got one that, that agrees with me. What he's, what he's speaking to is, is Satan, who whether as in the form of a serpent or through taking control of a serpent or just the understanding of ancient peoples and divine beings, they, they, it was communicated as a serpent, we don't understand. But, but we know that what this is speaking to is this, this war that is going to rage between good and evil, between light and darkness, between, between Satan and his offspring, the offspring of darkness and the offspring of women, coming to a head with Jesus, the ultimate seed of the woman, striking the head of Satan once and for all. 
So we see this, this promise given on, on page number three of the Bible, and really the rest of the story is a result of that curse. The rest of everything else we are going to read, we are going to see this begin to play out. How that God had designed this perfect paradise for man to exist. And the problem is he put man there with free choice, with free will. And inevitably we mess it up because that's just what we do. We are not perfect. We are, we are jacked up people. Whether we are in paradise or we are in a pandemic, it doesn't matter. We are going to do things that we shouldn't do. And as we begin to read God's word, what we see is, is God's story begin to play out where he had this design and this purpose and something intended in Genesis chapters one and two where I'm gonna put man in the garden and I'm gonna have a relationship with them and it's gonna be incredible and it's going to be awesome and they're going to have free choice and they're going to love me and it's going to be great only for them to disobey the first chance they got. And sin entered the world, and with sin, death entered the world. And now there's this, this struggle between good and evil. And we see God's story begin to play out to where he says, I have to redeem what I've created. And the only way for me to redeem what I've created is now to send my son. Jesus enters the story. Jesus is given victory. Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. We are now living out this story until one day God will come back and restore everything to what he originally intended it to be. That is the story of God. That is, that is his word. That is what we are going to read. That is what we're going to study. That is what we are going to, to learn from. That is what we are living today. God's word is not over. It hasn't, it hasn't ended because we haven't seen the culmination of it. And so I would encourage you as we continue to, to read the story, as we continue to read God's word, don't just, don't just pick it up in the morning like a, a, a novel and Flip through the pages and it's like, well, I got my reading for the done, check, mock, check, check the box for me. But I would encourage you, sit down and, and say, God, would, would, you, would you open my heart to what it is your word wants to say to me? God, would you show me you in your word? Would you show me the promise of your son in your word? Would you, would you change the course of my life and the direction of my life as I, as I put into practice the principles of your word? We see, we see in the beginning, God had a plan. We see in chapter two, God include man in that plan. We see in chapter three, man mess up God's plan. And I love at the end of, of chapter three, it's, it's, a, it's a hard chapter to read. It's very easy for us to to sit here today, 6,000 plus years later, and judge Adam and Eve for what they did in the garden. Like, how dare you? How could you? But we would have done the exact same. What I love is that the Bible clearly tells us, and it, it takes the time to tell us that they had made coverings for themselves out of fig leaves. And yet at the end of chapter 3, after God has this conversation with the man, the woman, and the serpent, what he says to them and, and what he actually does is he goes and he makes clothes for them out of animal skin. He makes them new leather outfits. 
What's the significance of that? The, the significance of that is, is you and I, when we, like Adam and Eve, mess up, when we make mistakes, it's natural for us to want to run and hide. It's natural for us to want to cover ourselves, to hide our shame. Not let anybody see. I can't let anybody close. I can't let anybody know. I got to... It's natural to want to do that. But what God does is he comes and says, listen, what, what, you're, trying to, what you're trying to cover yourself with is ill-fitting. It's not for you. It wasn't designed for you. It's not intended for you. You've tried to cover yourself and you're doing a terrible job. But he says, instead, why don't you allow me to cover you? Why don't you allow me to be your covering? Yes, I know you've messed up, but just, just come here. And I love it that, that God came to the garden and he called out to Adam. Because what that says is in my life, when I'm rebellious, God is still calling out to me. He could have come to the garden and he could have, he could have, he could have killed Adam. He could have done whatever he wanted to Adam. But what does he do? He calls him out to draw him close to him. I'm thankful that I... I serve a God that in my mistakes and in my rebellion and when I mess up and when I'm disobedient, he comes and he calls out to me. Not only does he call out to me, but he, he covers me as well. Today, I don't know where you're at and I don't know what you're carrying with you into the new year. I don't know what you're covering, with, covering yourself with walking into the new year, but here's my encouragement to you. Stop. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to be your own source. Stop living according to what you see and what is pleasing to your eye. Stop trying to find sufficiency outside of God and being self-sufficient, but instead turn to him. Stop trying to be your own protector, your own provider, but instead let God do that. Stand with me this morning. We're going to pray and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that as we study your word, as we examine your word, as we see your character through your word, thankful that we don't see a, a vindictive God. Thankful that as we read, you didn't, you didn't come into the garden swinging an ax and looking for heads to roll. But you called out to Adam, said, Adam, where are you? And there are some of us today in this room, some of us watching online, you're calling out to us today, saying, where are you? Not that you don't know, but God, oftentimes in our lives, we don't know where we're at. For those of us that are here, that we hear you calling. Holy Spirit, we, we feel that, that nudge. We've covered ourselves. We've made fig leaves. We've, we've disobeyed. We've gone left when you said to go right. We've done what we knew we shouldn't have done. Today, Lord, I am, I'm thankful that not only do you call, not only do you make clothes and, and offer covering, 
God, there is forgiveness and there is purpose and there is peace and there is newness of life to be found in you. We thank you that today as we, as we sit here, the promise and the, the word given that one day the offspring of the woman is going to strike the head of the serpent. That has been accomplished on the cross. Because of the price that Jesus paid, we can find forgiveness and newness of life in you. Lord, your word says that if anybody would call upon the name of the Lord, we would be saved, that all we have to do is believe and confess. Confess our sin, repent of our sin, believe that, Jesus, you are who you said you are. And in that moment, we would be adopted into the family of God. So Lord, today, for those that need new life, pray that you would reveal your truth, reveal your love, your love for them, that even from the, from the very beginning, you had them in mind. God, even as you put that tree in the garden, knowing that they would partake, knowing that one day you would have to send your son so that one day we could be redeemed by his blood. We thank you for that. Lord, as we go today, I pray that you would give us opportunities. Opportunities to put you first, opportunities to reflect your character, opportunities to love those around us the way that you have commanded us to. Lord, as we study your word this year, I thank you what you've begun, what you are going to continue to do as we, as we continue in your word. I pray that eyes would be opened. I pray for revelation. God, I pray that your word would come alive to your church and to your people today that would ignite a hunger for the things of God, a desire for more of you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Our prayer team is down here. If there's anything that you have need of. Did I knock this tree over and nobody told me anything during the message? You guys saw it. You noticed it. Be blessed. Happy New Year. Love you guys. Here at Dream City Omaha, we're all about three things, helping people discover Christ, recover identity, or uncover purpose. If you enjoyed today's service, we encourage you to check out our past sermon series as well as our discipleship classes. Give us a subscribe, and we hope that we can help you grow no matter where you are.